Welcome to Many Windows, a podcast about education from the perspective of two administrators and teachers, but for anyone who's ever been to school, is going to go to school, works in a school, or has kids in a school. Uh, My name is John Cassie, and I am joined by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, John. How's it going? Good to see you. And you. So, episode one. Yeah. Many Windows. Okay, now you and I have talked a lot for a long time about finding productive ways for us to collaborate, sharing our perspectives and experiences uh, about being administrators in school and kind of learning along with kids and along with parents and along with our colleagues about what it means to, to, to be in school life in 2019. And I'm delighted that we've settled on a podcast format for our sharing. Agreed. And I obsessively listen to podcasts. Right. <laughs> And find myself referencing them, you know, in just about every conversation I have. So, yeah, it's not it's not healthy. It's not good. <laughs> so this seems like the perfect format for us. Totally. Sitting totally. down and writing a book just seems like a lot of work to me. So right. I like that we're just having a conversation and recording it and sharing it with people. Exactly. So, uh, listeners, uh, so that you know, uh, Jennifer and I met. She's nearly 12 years ago, mm-hmm. okay, when we were both uh, incoming doctoral students a- in UCLA's education leadership program, mm-hmm. okay? Now, you know, if you've ever been to, a, you know, one of these kind of programs, you know that it's good to find people who you're copacetic with, who, who you can learn from, and sort of develop your thinking with, okay? And very quickly, uh, Jennifer and I not only found each other, but found uh, a half dozen other dynamite people who we we really spent a lot of our time uh, learning with. Um, but that's where we met. Okay, so we've been at this together for a long time. Okay, and listeners, to give you just a little bit of background on myself, and then Jennifer will do the same so that you get a sense of our differing perspectives. Uh, I'm in my 22nd year, I think that's true, 21 or 22, uh, of an almost entirely independent school Career, independent schools, just schools that have their own mission. You might know them as private, or you know, by some other terms, but uh, they're not part of a public system, and they're not charter schools, so they're not they're not answerable to a public entity. Okay, in that time, I've done virtually everything that you can do in a school like that. I've been a teacher in high school. I have taught middle school. I have been a dean of students. I was the assistant head of one of my schools, which is to say lots of back-end logistical kinds of things that make the school work, but that you wouldn't necessarily see if you were a student. Uh, I was the principal of a, uh, of a high school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for four years, and now I'm director of curriculum and innovation at an independent Jewish community day school Uh, in Orange County called TVT. And all of those experiences have sort of shaped me into the educator, leader, person, you know, that I am today, as I know Jennifer's have as well. Jennifer, help your listeners get a sense of your background. Sure. So I 
am in public education and always have been. And so uh, John and I complement each other nicely. And that's why I think we always have robust conversations when it's you and I getting together Mm -hmm. with some of our UCLA friends, because we do have these different perspectives. But at the end of the day, um, we grapple with the same kind of things. So I actually only attended private Christian schools, K through 12, preschool through 12. So as a kid, you yes. were educated only in independent schools. Correct. I was only educated in public. <laughs> Interesting. So, but then I've only huh. ever huh. taught and been an administrator in public schools. So huh. I, I, I've been in education for almost 20 years. Um, I started out in LA Unified. I'm mm-hmm. a native Californian. Yep. I started out in LA Unified, taught for a couple years in Somar in a middle school, mm-hmm. eighth grade English, mm-hmm. uh, 2,200 kids. Huge school, right? Um, and uh, went through actually the LA Unified internship program, which wow. is kind of interesting. Um, although I had a lot, I always knew going into college that I was going to teach and did different programs. I'm sure I'll talk about that at some point in this podcast. But um, I then moved to Burbank Unified, uh, which is a nice. Uh, medium-sized district and uh, with 15,000 kids. And I went to a middle school, taught for a few years there, got my administrative credential through UCLA and uh, became an assistant principal at that middle school. Then I actually moved up to the district level for three years and did um, curriculum and instruction as Mm -hmm. a coordinator. And, um, and then after about three years of being at the district office and looking around and noticing there were no kids around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, why did I go into education not to sit in front of a computer all day? Uh, so I said, I need to get back to a school site. And at the time, our superintendent actually kind of um, pointed me towards an elementary school where uh-huh. I had no background and no experience. Um, but I actually then spent seven years as an elementary school principal, wow. which was a really neat experience, particularly for an English teacher yeah. um, who never really understood how kids learn to read in the first place. <laughs> yeah, they right? get to you and they already can. Yeah. And yeah. when you're, you know, my my um, bachelor was in English language arts. So, you know, all my classes were on in British literature and Shakespeare and Milton and all right. of that. You know, I'm like, it's if, if you can't read when you come to me, I cannot help you. So That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really neat to kind of, uh, I learned so much in that experience. Yeah. Now I'm back at middle school because that is really where my heart is at. I love the middle school age. Yep. Um, and so it's my first year as a middle school principal. Yeah. Still in Burbank. So I yeah. really, really love it. And so it's great to, we have this range all the way through. Totally. Right. And right. complement each other. And, um, right. Yeah. It, it makes our discussions really, really rich, I think. Totally. Yeah. I mean, my, my instructional experience is largely high school. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've taught English, I've taught, but I've also taught history. I've taught Latin. Mm. Uh, I've taught game design. I'm teaching entrepreneurship right now. And, you know, trying to get a sense of what, of what teaching and learning needs to look like with kids who really will not benefit from strategies that were largely used mm-hmm. to teach me, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, or indeed to teach, you and know, I think to teach what, you. What's interesting is, you know, that's, that's your mission and core value yeah. as it is mine. And you've come at it from this, um, uh, entrepreneurial, 
you know, uh, game design, just innovative right. thinking. And then I have come at it, it by studying special education. Right. And it's really the same thing that we're trying to accomplish is mm-hmm. how do we help kids who don't learn in a traditional manner mm-hmm. to be successful in school and right. finding other ways to do that. Right. Yeah. And helping teachers realize that the kids they have in their classrooms today maybe differently than 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. For sure. Need a teacher with lots of arrows in the quiver. Yeah. That's kind of the metaphor I use, right? Uh, you got to have five or six available just in case you need them, mm-hmm. right? You never know what, what a group of kids who present themselves to you in a classroom will need. You've got a bunch of skills, but you've also got a bunch of other things that are available to you in the event that kids might, you know, might need them. Right. Right. And you don't know until you meet the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we have district level experience. My job is is transitional kindergarten through grade 12. I've spent a lot of time this year in the transitional kindergarten. You learn a lot about learning For when sure. you're working with pre-reading <laughs> yep. kids who maybe their accomplishment for the month was getting to the bathroom on their own. Yeah. Right. And then you take those experiences and you bring them back to your high school kids. It's like, all right, how can I transfer this? Right. But um, and then we'll talk about these kind of things, mm-hmm. you know, throughout this podcast. And inevitably, as we talk about whatever our topics of the day happen to be, uh, listeners, it's our hope that as you kind of lean into this podcast and start to hear our perspectives on things, you're thinking about your own perspectives on the way you experienced education or the way your children are or the way that you're trying to expand your teaching practice, that you'll send us questions that will form part of the content of this show. Obviously, this is episode one. We don't have any listeners yet as we're doing the work right now of our recording. So uh, so we have a topic of the day mm-hmm. and we're going to we're going to riff on that topic. And uh, Jennifer and I met uh, uh, a week ago uh, to sort of sketch out what we thought our topics for the first season might be. And we're going to start with something that I think everyone listening is likely to find intriguing. And that is this question, why do children lie? Now, Jennifer, you thought that this was a topic uh, that was worthy of not only being the first one that we discussed, but worthy generally. Give us your thoughts. Take us through your perspectives. I want to say uh, before I start that we don't want this to be a podcast just for teachers or, or educators, right? Right, yeah. And that was one thing I think my experience in elementary school really taught me to value the input of parents. Yeah. I have had such great conversations with parents, and I have learned so much about what they're facing, and so many of the things are the exact same things that educators are grappling with as well. Right. And it's, you know, middle school and high school where the teachers tend to not spend so much time with parents and listening to parents and talking with parents because of the sheer number of kids that that they're dealing with. Right. Well, and it's developmentally appropriate for parents to... As you go from grade six to eight to 12, mm-hmm. to move from being in that leading perspective and mm-hmm. asking the questions and calling the shots to being in a more guiding presence where they might say, well, why don't you try this conversational angle with your teacher or whatever, but it would not be appropriate for me 
to intervene for you because you're 17 years old mm-hmm. and you're going to be at work or in a university in a year's time. Right. And you're not going to have me calling your boss. Well, yeah, some people do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but you shouldn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that... Uh, you know, sometimes I, because, because I don't have children, right. you know, I learn so much from parents as they talk about their individual experiences. They're coming to me with questions, right? Right. right. And I sometimes ask myself, you know, who am I to, to be able to answer these questions, not having children myself? And then I go, well, wait a minute. You know, I have experience working very closely with thousands and thousands of kids over the years. Yep. And many of the concerns that parents bring to me, I have heard before, and mm-hmm. I can share what some other parents have done, things that we have tried. And I guess, you know, yeah, I do have something to hopefully teach the parents. And so that's where the topic of why do kids lie, okay. I thought was a great place to start because... Um, as I'm back at the middle school and I am confronted, you know, once a week with a student in my office who is looking me in the eye <laughs> and telling me a bold faced lie. <laughs> but I don't know this initially because I'm investigating some report that's come sure. come up. You know, sure. somebody's come in and said this, this, this and happened. And I'm like, really? Yeah. And so you bring a kid in and they're just, oh, you know, I go by Dr. Meg at school. Uh, for sure. Uh, Dr. Meg, you know, th- no way. There's no way that I don't know what they're talking about. There's no the way that happened. And they're just so believable. Right. And I think, well, maybe this other kid has just got it wrong. You know, there's some, I, I definitely am a big believer that the truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? Sure, of sure. all of these things and just sure. trying to suss out. Suddenly I feel like I really need, you know, that CSI team to come in <laughs> here and help me. That's right. <laughs> totally with, right. With this. And um, so it, it reminded me of of this book that I read that okay. was actually published in 2011 and it's called Nurture Shock. It's by okay. It's by Poe Bronson and Ashley Merriman. Okay. And I absolutely it just it was one of those things that I read and loved and one of the chapters is called Why Kids Lie. And uh, it I've remembered this and so I had to go back to it and right. read the chapter again, you know, in preparation for this. I've read it a couple of times and just also brought this in with some of my thinking, I thought it'd be really helpful to talk about some of the research that they did around kids lying and at what age do they learn to lie and why, really, right? right. What is their motivation? I think it'd be really helpful. So I wanted to share that with you and our listeners. Lovely. Um, Really, it's kind of a summary of this chapter in this book, which I highly recommend. You know, not everybody has... I get recommended books to read at least once a week, right? And I love to read, but I just can't get through them all. So I thought this is something, you know, um, that I wanted to discuss with you. And um, if you're interested in this topic, I can't recommend this. This whole book has all different things that it deals with, but I just loved this one. So it starts, this chapter starts with um, discussing the work of a professor uh, named Victoria Tower from Montreal, McGill University is where she is. And so what she did is she would bring in volunteers and and people and show them eight videos of children telling a story about a time they were bullied. Okay. 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 So you, 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 John Cassie, come on in and watch these eight videos of these different kids. Some of them are telling the truth. And some of them, ah. it's a complete fabrication. You have to 
decide which is which. Suss the liar. Just from watching oh. these videos. And, and they we are, know that that's hard. It's hard. That's hard. And yeah. these kids have been coached. Really what she, the angle that she was originally going for okay. is um, children being interviewed by police or being used to testify in court cases because they are prepped. Right. Right. Okay. So that's really where she's coming at. Yes. These, all of these kids have been prepped, but it's for, it's for you and me. If we're, if we're there in that room to try and figure out, here's a child that's on the stand. Yeah. Um, here's Believable, a child that's credible. in our yeah. office. How right. do you know if right. they're telling the truth or not? Um, right. so uh, the, the authors, the two authors of the book got to go through this experience and, um, they each got only four out of eight. Correct. Oh, wow. So in other words, no better than chance. No better than no chance. No better, better than each one if they flipped a coin. Is this, you know, let's watch this video. Was huh. this kid lying or telling the truth? Flip a coin. It would have had the same results. Yes. Yeah. Okay? Take your best guess. Yeah. No better than chance. That's right. Wow. And that is what her research played out with hundreds huh. of people. Huh. That the average is no better than chance. No better than 50% correct. Being able to perceive the liar yeah. from the truth teller. Yeah. Amazing. Parents, no, I'm sorry, teachers scored 60%. Correct. Ah, good on us. <laughs> no, they were so mad because they wanted to score 100%. 100%, of course. <laughs> Everyone knows a 60 is a D. That's right? right. And in some cases, it's an F. Yeah, right. barely, barely passing. Barely passing. Let's yeah. be honest. So yeah. the teachers were not happy with this. They right. also probably thought, you know, oh, well, I work with kids all day. You know, I'm, I can I'm suss gonna out. I'm going to miss one. I can suss out who's telling yeah. me the truth. Yeah. And these yeah. were students who were ages 7 to 11. So late elementary. Right. Okay. Telling elaborate stories about going into McDonald's and some other kid you know, making fun of them for being Chinese and pouring French fries on their head, you know, like wow. really rich details. Their stories were like two minutes long. Yeah. You know, there was a yeah, lot, yeah. Of, lot of time. Right. Um, uh, in other words, a lot of detail and a lot of facial expressions mm-hmm. and a lot of what I would have thought would have been clues. Yeah. Giveaways, helpful. tells and takes. Yeah. Right. But which weren't there. Now that's sixty percent. Is that is that statistically useful? Better than chance? I don't I don't know. It basically she's just kind of saying that teachers did slightly better than just the average person who came in. Right. You know, but they, they didn't do eight out of eight. No. Yeah, okay. No, yeah. nobody did. So I have a quiz for you, John Cassie. Go. Yep. Oh, Already. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. This Good is, grief. I'm, this is uh, an education we're podcast. We're eighteen minutes in. There's testing. Oh, yeah, mercy. for sure. So I want to. I want to see okay. how. Now, listeners, <laughs> I have not been prepped, Don't nor was notes. I warned. Don't look at my notes. And yeah. now I, she's put a block right. up. Mm-hmm. It's outrageous. Oh yeah. Okay, go. Okay. So, John Cassie, who do you think is more likely to tell the truth, girls or boys? And huh. talk me through your thought process. Okay. I want to hear what you're thinking and why. That's it. breathing. It, yeah. In my experience, uh, n- neither are more likely. Okay. If, if, if to me, uh, girls are, well, look, I think often it's based on the relationship. Okay. If you've established a good relationship with a kid, you've got more of a shot of them not dissembling maybe as long or with the, the same amount of commitment to to the lie, 
right? Maybe with a girl student, it will be based on kind of wanting to maintain a kind of social dynamic that is um, that's not hostile, right? Maybe with a boy, uh, it might have to do with respect and authority or something like that. Maybe I'll go girls by a nose. All right, so what do we always tell kids when they're taking a test? You should always stick with your... Your, your first... Yes. Yeah. The first thing you said to me is there really isn't a difference, and that is right. Ah, good. Okay, yes. okay. So this was a little bit of a trick question, yeah. I will tell you, but I wanted you to talk through, you know, because um, this study yeah. revealed biases. Interesting. And what the bias was is more people thought girls were telling the truth uh-huh than so in boys. other words i talked myself into the bias perspective yeah, you right? sure did right. you sure did yeah yeah they all they found they believed going in that the girls were going to be more or as they picked between the yeah. different videos they rated the girls as telling the truth right. more often than the boys and revealed this bias because right. there really is no difference yeah yeah now that's what i would have my my answer would have like what I was expecting was something like at fifty two forty eight yeah 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 near enough as makes no difference right 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 um, and I certainly would not have wanted to have been put on the stand to defend my <laughs> my my thinking yeah right because but you because did at the end you touched on something that's really important right in this whole body of research about why kids lie right and even the lie it's that. Girls are more social creatures, uh-huh. and they are more socially adept. And uh-huh. lying has a lot to do with your social intelligence. Right. Your social status, yep. your social relationships, maintaining them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I That's wanna, question one. Yeah. I'm gonna, and I'm going to come back to that, that topic. Okay. okay so, so I'm 0 for 1. <laughs> Half. So Half credit. So do you think, uh, is, are younger kids more or less prone to lying than older elementary age kids? Younger being like, like you know, elementary? three, four, five. Oh, so like really, yeah. really young. Yeah, real young. Three, four, five, let's say, as opposed to older elementary, you know, being like third through fifth grade, let's I, say. I, I'm, I'm sort of back where I was with the first question. Like, I don't, I don't anticipate that there's much of a difference, right? Maybe maybe older kids a little bit more volume per day, like sheer number, but I don't think the predilection's any different, right? So um, it's what we find is kids do learn to lie and learn yeah. to become better liars. Yes, right? that's kind of what my thinking was. As they yeah. get older, I think that there is a by, there's a thought that younger kids are making stuff up all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they come in like, I just saw a purple dinosaur out there. Like, really? Uh, I don't think so. Right. You know, but, so but that's not really a lie as much as it is just sort of uh, imaginative storytelling. Or at least that's how I would always interpret it. And I think it, right? that the general population wouldn't suss out those differences. So you right. think about these people coming through and they might say, oh, the younger the student is... 
you know, they're going to be confused. They're going to embellish maybe on a story. Right. Right. That might right. have come across a little bit in these, these, or just the, anyone who's had kids. Right. Um, who will, I think the other thing is they will blatantly lie. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Who, who wrote on this desk right here? I don't know. Did, John, did you write in this on this desk? No. It's interesting because I see a marker in your hand, and I was yeah. just sitting across from you when I saw you writing on the desk. <laughs> so the younger the kids are, they don't have the again like that social status or that awareness that like right. oh yeah, uh, someone just saw me doing this. I'm still going to deny it because uh, right. I'm trying to get out of getting in trouble. So I'm right. going to deny it. Right. Uh, the younger kid who's just sort of. Uh, you know, uh, always deny. Yeah. D- 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 deny everything. It's a go-to. Right. <laughs> Whereas the, the older students with more complex social relationships, hierarchies within their own age group, hierarchies in the school, uh, relationships with adults, etc. cetera, uh, you know, the older you get, the more those dynamics, uh, there might be seen to be a social benefit to manipulating the truth or 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 not fully disclosing the truth or in fact outright lying mm-hmm. right because the status consequence of telling the truth is too high mm-hmm. right so those things probably conspire to make the kinds of lies told by older students different yeah. than than a 3 year old and i think right? the piece is just that they are more believable and do not get caught uh-huh. in the lies right. and so again you know, as as this research shows adults are not able to recognize that they're lying the right. older they get. Right. That I think is really what's in. Okay. All right. Next. Okay. So I would, I'm going to say that that one you got right. Rock okay. on. Okay. Okay. Last one question. One for one. Are introverts more or less trustworthy? Introverts more or less trustworthy. I'm going to say introverts are more trustworthy. So, <laughs> she's got that face, friends. <laughs> no, I know that no, face. No, yeah. no, 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 no. You, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. Oh, good. But I want you to tell me why you think that. Um, my answer is introverts draw less uh, internal sense of self, in, uh, motivation, uh, identity from being validated in a social sphere. And so they're less likely to be inclined to tell socially reinforcing lies because they don't care about that. Whereas an extrovert is highly motivated by how they're perceived by groups and so might be more inclined to finagle the truth to avoid a social cost that an introvert wouldn't either recognize as even a cost or care about or would care about. Right. So what's interesting is that uh, the bias is that introverts are less trustworthy. They're loners. Right, right. Right. They don't talk very much. Now, obviously, I'm using some grand swipes here. Yeah, yeah. Right. But um, the more quiet a student is or withdrawn, Adults are thinking, what you know? What are they plotting? What are they hiding? What are they hiding? What are exactly. they hiding? Right. Whereas, just like you said, extroverts tend to be going back to that social piece again. Just more expert right. at de- deciding, figuring out what is the adult looking for from me. 
Right. So this is a really important piece of why kids lie, is really kids are trying to please adults. Okay. They are trying to figure out what does this person want to hear from me. Right. And as early as four four year olds. Yeah. So there was an interesting um, kind of distinction here. Let me find it in my notes really quick. Um, is uh, and maybe this could be question four and five on your quiz. No. Okay. So. Um, Three-year-olds, well, I tell you what, let me not get there yet. I want to tell you about this other research that they did. Okay. This other study, and then that will make more sense. So they did something else called the peaking game. Okay. All right? So this is where it just... A child is taken to into a small room with an adult, just one-on-one, and I'm sure there's a two-way mirror or whatever, right? Sure, so sure. There's a crowd of people on the other side watching all of this. And the child's told, turn your back, you know, don't look at the table here, um, and then the researcher is going to put a toy that makes a noise on the table. They have to listen to it and try and guess what the toy is based on the noise. Okay. Okay? That's it. So the first one, and oh, let me, to sweeten the deal. Okay. Okay. The child's told if they, that they'll win a prize if they guess three times correctly. There's three, ah, times, right? Okay. okay. So they're, they're kind of building some Motivated. stakes in here. Yeah. Yep. And they did this with kids that were like five and six and really quite young. Pretty young. Pretty young. So the first toy was really easy. It was a siren on a police car. Got it. Okay. So they're kind of building in some confidence right. with the kid. Like, oh, the, the, the one that they were watching, you know, that they're telling the story of this boy. He's so excited. He got it right away. He's like, oh, this is going to be a breeze, right? He was right. six, I think, the example kid that they use in this chapter. Okay. The second toy was a baby doll, you know, that, that cried. Man. And so, yeah, yeah. He, w- he was able to get it pretty quickly. Um, it was a boy, I think, so he had a little harder time. Uh, maybe he didn't play with dolls. Who knows? Because so, he, he took a couple guesses, but he got it. And then he was, he was kind of asking the researcher, like, oh, are they all this easy? You know, he's really feeling good. Right. At that point, the researcher has a reason that they need to step out of the room. Uh-huh. Okay? They've got, they're just, they put the third one on the table. Okay? okay. The third item on the table and has to leave. Let me tell you what the third item is. It is a soft, stuffed soccer ball. On top of one of those greeting cards that when you open it, it plays a song. <laughs> the song is Furelise. So imagine oh my that, this, that the researcher has kind of put on the table this soccer ball on covering this card. Mm-hmm. Okay? But the kid's not looking. So it doesn't right. matter. Right? 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 But this is called the peeking game. So the researcher invents a reason that they, she's, she or he has to leave the room. And says, now don't peek, right? Exactly. Leaves the room. And then, of course, it's not a set amount of time. Because this isn't about how long a child can go before peeking. Right. There are other tests for that. (laughs) You may be familiar with the marshmallow. The marshmallow test, that's right. (laughs) So that's not this research. This is the researcher comes back and asks the student, did you peek? Ah. Okay? That is really the crux of this. Ah, because it's a lying test. Yes. Right. That's right. So, and it's it's virtually impossible to guess this sound associated with this soccer ball. And I think... Right. I think, I'm not 100% sure because it doesn't say this explicitly or I just didn't read this quite close enough, but I think that she shows, she she plays the music first 
and then says, excuse me, I got to go out for a minute. Don't peek. So the, the kid uh, knows this is like, I have no idea. Right. Okay. Okay. Because, More motivation to peek. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like what in the world? Um, right. Yeah. And so the researcher comes back in the room. This six-year-old kid uh, blurts out, it's a soccer ball. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I like, I figured it out while you were gone, right? And the, and the researcher says, like, well, hold on just a minute. Let me just sit down, you know, and get back to the study. And that's when the six-year-old starts to realize, oh, wait a minute. I think I blurted that out too quickly. Right. That's suspicious. So then this, then she says, okay, I'm ready for your answer. He says, um... Is it a soccer ball? Okay. The social piece, right? Oh, I have right. to, you know, oh now my. Now let me manipulate this yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was way too, you know, certain. That's that's suspicious. So yeah. is it a soccer ball? And then she says, well, how did, you are right. Oh my, how he Look celebrates. Oh my right. goodness. So excited. How did you know? This kid starts saying things like, oh, well, the, the music sounded like a ball. <laughs> Now, dear dear listeners, this is uh, not good radio right now. Jennifer and I are looking at each other with that look like, huh? <laughs> yeah, you, you've you, all you been of, there. You're right, like, right. You, uh, you know, we're both leaning forward going, like we do when we're when really? we're talking to students who are lying to us professionally. <laughs> right. I will often lean forward and just sort of like squint a little yeah. bit, an eyebrow raised. <laughs> yeah, go on. Okay. All right. Well, let, let me explain. It sounded black and white. Is the next? Uh-huh. We're still. We're not. We're. You know. This is impossible uh-huh. to justify. Right. So then, but then he lands on this. This really good one. The soccer balls at his school. You know, make this kind of sound. Oh no, that's a good lie. Right. Right. That's that a good is, one. And I. You know. Now I'm Come sure on. the researcher is trained to not show any facial expressions <laughs> like we do when we're looking at kids. Like, do you think I'm an idiot? Is right. that what you, you think right now that I'm a moron? <laughs> right. Um, so. Uh, this this is a great example of, you know, a little bit about how they're lying, but that absolutely, right. in part- when the stakes are high, when they're... Right. They're, and the, the, the researchers were always really sure to praise them after each right answer. Sure. You know, praise them. Right. Raise the stakes. Yeah. Raise the yeah. stakes. They, raise the they st- get something, they get praise, they right. get something tangible. Right. Okay, so... Well, and that s- speaks to the social stakes that motivate these behaviors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because they're they're definitely there. So here's the quiz now. Go. Another okay. quiz. The another quiz. Here's Good the quiz grief. on the peaking game. All right. Go. So they did this with kids as young as three years old. Okay. All right. Um, what percentage of three-year-olds do you think are going to peak and are going to are going to be honest about peaking? What's your sense of with a oh, three-year-old? Those are different questions. There's, there are two questions. This is a part A and part B. Okay, so word part problem. A is what percentage do you peakers? Think peak? Yeah, or or eight, three years old. Three years old. Ninety-five percent. Only a third. <gasps> Only a third. Really? Of the three-year-olds peaked. And now, of those peakers, yeah, who would admit who were the liars? Who would admit? So, who were the, the truth tellers? Okay. Because the first question she comes back and asks the right. seminal question here is: right. Did you peak? So right. three-year-olds. So these guys okay. did peak. Okay. And, now, and then when they're confronted. How many were truthful How many would admit it? Two-thirds. Almost all of them. 
Really? Almost all okay, of them. Okay, so what do the researchers draw from that? So at, so let me ask you. So oh, now, yeah, okay, continue. Okay, four years old. How much does it change? But four, a year older. Okay, so only a third peaked yeah. at age three. Yeah, fourth grade. What? What? How much Maybe more? Maybe 50%? Eighty percent <gasps> between age three and four it jumps that much. Now, wow! Of those, that's actually truly shocking. I know. Yeah, that that, that that's where Just the jump that, is. Yes, I would have thought it'd be a little bit slower curve, and then maybe at age six or seven mm-hmm. that they're you'd gradually get that learning. They're gradually. Yeah. Yeah. It's this huge jump. Okay. Okay. So eighty percent of four-year-olds, yeah. not fourth graders, four-year-olds, four-year-olds, four-year-olds peak. Yes. And nearly all of the third grader, the three-year-olds, owned it. it. Yeah. Okay. So So I'm going to guess maybe it's also flipped and maybe only 25% would admit it. Yeah. There you're pretty close. Over 80% lie. Oh, over 80% lie. over 80% peak and then over 80% lie about peaking. Interesting. So that suggests there's something in, in brain development or social development or... Or something mm-hmm. in the way that children are raised and socialized. This is in the United States, right? This yeah. uh, study. Well, this right? was actually in Canada. This is in Canada, Montreal. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I wonder if a study in the United States or in uh, you know Japan or in Egypt or you know They've would done, generate different results. Um, I believe it. Some of these studies. I'm trying to remember if it's this exact one or the, or the next one. They actually did in different countries and had very similar results. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be a, a human condition, yes. not a Canadian cultural or a, uh, you know, a Bangladeshian culture mm-hmm. kind of phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what, then they did some observations in the home. Okay. And, you know, would keep track. So when observed in their homes... Four-year-olds lie about every two hours. Okay. Okay. Six-year-olds lie once an hour. Okay. Okay. So it does, you know. So that scale of that. Uh, there's that ramping big jump. Up. There's something about like three to four. Right. You know, there's that big kind of jump, and then it starts ramping up. And then their research, the bottom line, their research was that ninety-six percent of all kids lie. That's not surprising. Yeah. What is surprising, and genuinely so, is even before kindergarten, the students that schools get are receptive in their own moral and ethical frame to lying, and they've gotten way better at it. Yeah. And way more committed to it. Mm-hmm. Right? So... It's not like, oh, well, we have an opportunity between grades two and three mm-hmm. to try to head off this, this change. Mm-hmm. No. The kids who come to us mm-hmm. in kindergarten are reasonably skilled liars mm-hmm. who will commit to it and will are aware of the deception they're making and are perfectly okay with it. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, and the, you know... I, in middle school, I have had several situations where a parent has come in because their child's in trouble right. and they're facing some sort of consequence and the parent sits down and looks at me and says, my child doesn't lie. Right. 
And I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I have. <laughs> and I have. So, you know, I wanted to kind of start with some research and kind of make sure everybody understands that this is, you know, part of the human condition. And uh, exactly. It's, and, you know, the reasons for why anybody lies, right? First and foremost is self preservation. Hundred percent, right? The kids are trying to usually cover up some sort of transgression. Something right. that's the number one reason they lie. They've done something wrong. They they didn't realize it in the moment. Their brains aren't fully developed. They right. they can't work through cause and effect yet at these young right. ages. Right, right. They've done. They've knocked something over. It's spilled on the ground. You know, and someone walks in and says, "Did you do this?" And their first thing in their mind is I'm going to get in trouble for this. Right. So I'm going to deny. Right. Right. And then as they get older, they just get more savvy because they've had these experiences of getting in trouble for things. Right. Right. And the interesting thing also as an aside in um, some of this research and in this chapter is that parents, when these kids are three, four, five, it's almost like they expect them to lie about it initially. Did you write, you, you know, did you mark on this table uh, as they have the marker in their hand and they say, no, I didn't. Well, they just keep pressing them. And ultimately, the parents never address the lie, only the act. Right. So they're right. not, there is nothing <clears throat> reinforced at a young age that by lying, you have made it worse. Right. It's just they're getting it. You know that you you did that, and you get a punishment for the act. For the act. And I know, and I think as we get into the upper grades right. and secondary, it's something I reinforce with the kids a lot. I think you, you probably do, too, when you're talking to a student and saying, what's ultimately important to me is that you are truthful with me and that we, that I yes. can trust you. Yes. Right? Because trust is so important. Right. And yeah, I think... There's, there's virtually nothing that you might do just in the course of your regular school day that is so serious that you should be worried about you, you know the absolute judgment. We don't use right? the guillotine anymore, or stockades. Right, or right, right. Yeah, we don't do public shaming. Fi- yeah. yeah, right, right. We don't do any of that. Right, right. So, to your point, I will very often say what I'm have when I'm having an interview with a student about something. Right, you know, before you start talking, be mindful that what I'm trying to do is simply to get to an understanding mm-hmm. of what happened so that an appropriate decision can be made and that lying will have the following effects. Mm-hmm. It will require me to continue working on this until I get to the truth and I will get to it. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be thinking that a lie carefully told at the right time will put me off the scent. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. It will just put me to it even more. Yeah. And then I will not be able to trust you going forward, right? Right. right. This is not something for which you should be making that commitment, Mm -hmm. right? Let's work on this together. And if there's to be a consequence, there's to be a consequence, Mm -hmm. right? But the hope is that you learn something by being forthright. Yeah. Right. And I think that's really, as administrators... We're trying to make every mistake that a child makes 
And at this, at the middle school and high school age, they can make some pretty big mistakes with profound impact. Yes. Right. I mean, the, this it's not just marking on a table. You know, there's fights and uh-huh. you know drugs and uh-huh. things like this. Right. Right. So it we're ultimately not just trying to punish those kids for the bad choices they've made, but to help them to learn to take a different course and Correct. make a different decision. Correct. You know, and we, I think we all think a lot about that and how do we shape their decision-making process so that they can not fall into this trap again. I don't know how successful we are. Maybe that's another question for another uh, podcast, but we we tack on to that, this idea of kind of honesty and trustworthiness. Right. And we're, right. we're also trying to teach that. And I know I've said those very same things and even said like, you know, if you're going to right now double down on a lie and it's now going to cause me two or three hours of talking to 10 other kids and getting 10 other witnesses who all tell me the same thing as this initial witness. And then I come back to you and, and say, I have all of the evidence. Right. You know, your consequence will be more severe. Uh-huh. Be- and, you know, I, you have an opportunity right now and I and I'll sometimes even tell them what I'm, you know, the two options uh-huh. that I'm looking at, you know, right. because I know and I think we know as uh, educators and parents of older kids know that they are going to lie initially, right? <laughs> that they are going to try and get out of it. And they think that they can tell a good enough lie right. to get out of it. And you know what? They've had some success there. Or they wouldn't. I mean, if if you had not had success by the time you got to grade 10. Right. And it was just reversal after reversal after reversal, you would eventually choose another strategy. Yes. But the fact that that's the default strategy, mm-hmm. generally. Yeah, it's worked. Right, suggests mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have sometimes, when I've been doing these kind of interviews, and I'm getting to the student who I think has the the actual truth, mm-hmm. like the truth of the inc- the incident, mm-hmm. I won't start with that student. Mm-hmm. I'll go to two or three others who are peripheral yeah, and see if I can get any data from them that seems like, okay, well, this student was there and then this one was also there, but standing in this position, you know. Because and, you yeah, know. Triangulate it. It's it's all a matter of perspective. Absolutely. There, I mean, there's right. no, uh, no ultimate truth. There right. is no one version of the story. Right. Something happened. Yes. But that can only be discerned by talking to people who have perspective. Yeah. Therefore, unless unless you were there and have your own perspective to compare it to, even if you have a camera, mm-hmm. the camera itself has a perspective mm-hmm. that may, by virtue of the frame of the camera, leave out critical data yeah. that would help you to make a conclusion, yeah, right? Yeah. But I will always say to to students when I'm further down the road, thanks for coming. Um, I want to ask you a question about this incident. Here is what I already know to be true. Mm-hmm. I know that these people were there, and I know that it happened in this place, or, 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 mm-hmm. right? Here's the spectrum of truth. Now, did you X? Were you Y? To what degree did you participate in Z? I have a great story. And that sometimes, but not always, will cut through. But it doesn't always, right? 
I have a story this year this that, year. I, that illustrates this. Okay. Um, and I stumbled into it. This was not me being a genius and, you know, understanding this. Half the time we stumbled right. into it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I was like, oh, that actually worked out. <laughs> so uh, there there had been these, um, you know, these rumors going around. Kids were seeing other kids vaping in eighth grade. Uh-huh. This is, you know, this not is Not a the great thing. surprise. Yeah, right. right? And high schools are plagued with it for sure. And so I searched a couple of kids. The first kid I search, I find stuff on him. I'm like, I'm more surprised than he is. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, because <laughs> half the time we're doing these searches and not finding anything, and it's like, a, you know, hours spent. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So that was an easy one. A kid kind of came up as myself and a couple other people were searching kids and talking to him. Um, and he he had been found with something, okay, and was suspended as a result comes back with his parents and um, they said, you know, we asked him when we got home where he got this from. You know, we were we were so surprised. I and see. He um, he said that this kid at the school had sold it to him and had this whole story about how he sold it to him. And okay. it was like he, it was fifty dollars for like a four dollar item. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they said, well, how who is this kid? How did well, he had text messages Okay. And ah. However, the the kid had said, delete these text messages. And he did off of his phone. But he had an Apple Watch. And the student didn't know how to delete them off the Apple Watch or realize that they were also saved on his oh, Apple wow. Watch. So even though this seventh grader was savvy enough to go into his phone and delete the text message, they, they were still on his Apple Watch. So there was a funny moment where, you know, parent and administrator and all these adults are like, well, how do we get a copy of this off of his <laughs> Apple Watch? How do we print it? You know, how do we get, uh, like, this was days of us just trying to figure out, but we need a copy of this to show, because we're going to nail this kid who sold him the vape stuff, because he's yeah. a kid at our school. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it takes days of us trying to, try, and ultimately, <laughs> she took a picture of the watch, each Frame screen, by frame. Yeah. Good grief. <laughs> and brought it to us so that we had it. You know, because you really want to be sure, before you suspend a kid, you know, you really want to be sure that it's not just, this kid is now lying again to try and minimize the oh, for impact. For sure. Right? For okay, sure. So we always yeah. want to be as, as sure as we can. So this kid I had searched in this, you know, and he came in and he was so, like, pleasant and charming and respectful. Oh, Dr. May. Oh my God. Yeah, of course you can search me. I always, I always tell them I need to search your backpack because we have reason to believe this is what's happened. You know, we have okay. to have a reason. Okay. Of course, you know, let me empty my pockets. Let me show you everything that I have. Oh, okay. Shakes my hand on the way out the door. Thank you very much. Have a pleasant day. Yeah. John's making a face, but you know, super respectful kid. Okay. So now it's this kid, super mm-hmm. respectful kid, uh, right. whose father is uh, an assistant principal of discipline in another school district, but uh, we used to work, and I know him, oh, and adds perfect. a whole layer. Yeah, okay. that's perfect. So I've got to suspend this kid, and I ha- I'm, I'm 100% confident. So I call the parents, and I'm talking with the parents. I think I've, I don't remember if this is the, at the beginning, or I think this is when it's all happening. So I... Uh, I had called the mom and dad to come and meet with me. Okay. Right. I yeah. didn't want to just do this over the phone. Right. Reasonable. Anything. So mom's there. Dad's on the phone. 
and I'm telling them, and they're really struggling to believe in spite ah, of all this evidence. Right. And so dad says, well, well why don't you call him in? Because I'm just talking, I want to see what his reaction is. Okay. You know, he wants to see those tells that he thinks. Okay. Right. Now, yes, he's on the phone. Let's, let's just get past that. But he yeah. wants mom to see these tells. Okay. Yeah. So I call the student in. I have him sit at the table with us. And I tell him, you know, this is why, this is why we're here. Um, you know, I know that you sold some vaping stuff, you know, to this other kid and, um, you know, your mom and I were talking and, you know, she was, she was asking me like, where would he get this stuff from? And she said he was at the mall the other day. I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, there's this store at the mall. We know that sells to underage kids, uh-huh. right? Okay. He says, no, I didn't get it there. <laughs> and there's the home there run right go. there. We're there in. There we go. I mean, right. and I, this was not really my intention. I just knew I didn't want to ask him the question, did you do this? Right. Because the stakes were stacked against him telling the truth. Right. His dad's on the phone. His mom's there. I'm there. He's going to, of course, deny, 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 try and come up with, he is socially savvy kid. He's going to yep. try and come up with as many plausible, right. you know, re- explanations. And he's already manipulated you once. For sure. So maybe I could get, wiggle out of this again with Dr. Meg, who I've already, mm-hmm. you know, I've already yeah. gotten around her. Yeah. Gotten okay. around. Like you searched me yourself, Dr. Meg, and I didn't have it. You know, that Correct. kind of a whole thing. Correct. So it was that moment that completely turned the tide. Of yeah, course. sure. Like that was the, that was the confession yeah. that I really kind of needed for these parents to see that it right. really did happen. Right. Um, and so that was something I learned a lot from in talking to kids. Like if, if you don't ask them the question they're expecting. Totally. Right? Yeah. Um, so that was something right. that I they're learned a lot. They're expecting you to come on head on. Yeah. If you come from the flank, yeah. they, won't, they won't have thought through an answer. Yes. Or they won't even understand that, that an answer might actually reveal the broader truth, mm-hmm. which is all you cared about anyway. And maybe what's going through his mind, I don't know, but I'm making this up. Maybe he's thinking, oh, great. My mom is not going to, and dad are not going to ever let me go to the mall again if right. they think that I got this stuff from the mall. So, you know, as their minds right. are, right, like, I don't want them to think I got this at the mall and they've forgotten. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, they've forgotten right. what it, but um, in these studies about lying, they say lying is an advanced skill related to intelligence. Yep. The smarter the kid, the better they are at lying, the more believable their lies are. Right. right? No, no surprise. It is correlated to higher executive functioning skills. Uh-huh. You got to you know, keep all these details sorted out. That's right. Right. That's right. right. So our kids that really... Um, you would think, oh, here's a really good kid or here's, you know, a smart kid. Here's a, a, a gifted kid. You know, I can bring them in and they're going to tell me the truth. They actually are the ones who are best at crafting right. some kind of believable lie. Right. Which and- is why whenever I'm doing uh, discipline or I'm trying to get an answer to a question, I talk to kids from a wide variety of social perspectives, mm-hmm. some who are really engaged, some who are less engaged, some who are more extroverty, some who are more introverty, right? Because the, the, the kid who doesn't appear to have anything to do with it might nevertheless have walked through it mm-hmm. or might have seen it mm-hmm. or might have heard something, right, that can open a door 
to getting to a to whatever the deeper truth is, yeah. right? You know, because what we're trying to do is in in teaching students the costs of lying. I'd rather a student learn that that's not the right strategy mm-hmm. in high school mm-hmm. than learning it at a university that has, say, a one. One mistake and you're done. Honor code. That's what I always tell kids. Like, right. And I tell parents, actually. Yeah. I would rather that they try this now and fail when the stakes are low. Yeah. Or because lower. in middle school, right. they're the lowest. You know, elementary, they're low. But high school, it's a little more severe. College, you can be booted, you know, for some right. of these transgressions that they've done in middle school. You can be right. kicked out of that college and you're not refunded your money. Right. Um, so right. that's what I always say. Better they learn this totally. when the stakes are lower totally. than when they go on. Now, so it's obvious to all of us that kids lie to, to stay out of trouble, to not get in trouble, to cover up a transgression. Totally. But what I thought was really interesting was that there's a second reason that is not so obvious. Okay. And, and it's when children reach school age, they learn to lie to spare a friend's feelings. I'm not surprised by that. They learn that secret, White lies. secret right. keeping is an important part of friendship right? at an early age. Right. And then, of course, that whole idea, like you said, of white lies, they're learning not just from peers, but they're learning from adults and their parents. Totally. Because they are taught to be polite. So, for right. example, right. it's your birthday, you're eight. And your great aunt gives you a sweater, you know, made for a three-year-old right. Right? with <laughs> unicorns or ponies or whatever, and you are into superheroes, right? right. And what does your parent, who knows that this great aunt is going to come along with some weird thing, I'm right. thinking about, what is it, Christmas Story, remember? Right. And where he always gets the pajamas, <laughs> like everybody knows, and she preps him. Now remember, you're going to get this hideous pair of pajamas, and right. you are going to put it on, and you are going to smile and you are going to thank her and right. kiss her and tell her how much you love it, right? Right. What what a common thing in the name of politeness. Right. We teach kids to be disingenuous. Right, right. We're actually teaching the social structure of polite lying. Yeah. Right, that politeness is to some extent, right? Well, you know, the it's the it's the classic joke. You know, do do these does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> right. No, dear, you look fabulous. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. There is no other answer, <laughs> right? And that's that's the structure of sort of deceit and deception. Yeah, that underpins uh, social lubrication, mm-hmm. right? So why would a student understand? Mm-hmm. Oh. I see in these circumstances that benefit you, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to lie so that you don't take a social hit. But in these other situations where a lie might protect me, mm-hmm. I'm supposed not to lie. I'm supposed to tell the truth. Is that a, That doesn't make any sense. And then right? take it to the next level. Um, you know, if... If you, as my favorite teacher, favorite administrator, my beloved parent, um, 
you know, you, you obviously want to hear something from me right now. You're asking me these questions, you know, yeah. what happened, you know, da, da, da. right. I'm, I'm searching to try and find the answer that you're looking for. That's going to make you happy. Right. Because I love you. Right. And so this is where kids embellish right. or make up. Right. Or say things that the more they are pressured by their parents or or adult, right? Or their own perception of a relationship that requires that social lubrication. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That they're gonna invent things. So as I was as I was driving here today, right. I was Thinking about a podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a podcast reference in every one of our podcasts. No question. To another one. Um, Which podcast? I, so I was thinking about this podcast, um, the last podcast from the uh, left. Yes. <laughs> that I yeah, love yeah, and yeah. listen to obsessively. They had an episode on um, the satanic panic and satanic rituals classic, from the 80s. <laughs> classic. <laughs> it was. Um, right. Which is a bunch of hoo-ha. Right. From the 80s about satanic cults yeah. taking over the minds of your children and they're going to play Dungeons and Dragons. And 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 it was all a bunch of nonsense. So they talked about the McMartin preschool case. Oh yeah, case. the classic case. 1984. I remember this. Totally. Right? I like mean, it was I yesterday. was 11 yep. and I knew and still know that this preschool was molesting kids right. and supposedly doing satanic rituals with right. kids. Like, we still know this today. Yep. Guess what? There was not a single conviction made because ultimately they found out it was all unfounded. Right. All of these interview techniques that first the parents and then the investigators used right. were guiding questions, leading. They kept kids. They kept asking him the same thing, the same thing. They he um, Marcus Parks reads a transcript of an investigator who says to this preschool age kid, you know, whatever one of the ladies' names was like Peggy or something like. Did Peggy put a fork in your hiney? And the kid's like, I don't, I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. What did she put in your hiney? Come on, you can do, you, you know, what it, right. you can go as soon as you answer this question. Right. What did she put in your hiney? I don't, I don't remember. Come on. Like second investor, kid, you can go as soon as you answer this question. What right. did she put in your hiney? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember. Right. And then finally, like, you need to tell us what did you, and he, so he says a fork. Right. At the end. And he gets, so, and then the other thing that is amazing that I didn't, of course, know any of this, these kids, these McMartin preschool kids who had, in the end, told all these elaborate, crazy stories. They said that they would take the kids, they would fly them from LAX to Vegas. This, during the day, during a, uh, A kids are at preschool. Right. (laughs) Eight to four. How did they get them from like San Diego to LAX to to get them on a plane? Like who can fly a bunch of kids? I'm like, it's just really absurd. Right. But, you know, and there were all these secret basements and secret tubes underneath this place. Like none right. of this turned out to be true. Right. And But these kids were just pressured again and again. And the kids ultimately are, are, are number one, what do you want to hear 
I will tell right. you whatever tell, you want to uh, exactly. hear to make you happy right. and to get me out of this situation. That's right. Right? That's right. And then they were rewarded because they brought in the cast of Punky Brewster and Mr. T after right. this whole thing was said and done. Now, of course, right. you can imagine it's all like this: these poor kids have had this traumatic experience. Let's give them something to lift them up. Yep. But for them, it's like, oh, look at how I've been rewarded for lying and telling these stories. Exactly, exactly, right. <laughs> and so the whole thing, and here it is. I just, it's, it's, it's so frightening. Yeah, that's the classic. The classic uh, story that McMartin, uh, that preschool story. Yeah. Sort of the classic example of how all of these things that we're talking about today on this, on our episode, this mm-hmm. first episode of our own show, uh, you can. In the in the act of trying to get to the truth, start to believe your own misconceptions. Absolutely, right, and become convinced a thing has happened that didn't. Mm-hmm. Right, so you have to you have to be careful about what you're sure is true, and not n- nearly as nefarious. But I have parents all the time say, you know, I took them home, and you know, I. I kept asking them for hours until they finally told me the truth. Ah. That's the misconception. Correct. Correct. That if you just berate them or keep asking them long enough that they'll finally tell you the truth. Because what I have found works best, what I, again, kind of stumbled upon, is sitting there quietly. Absolutely. And just kind of saying, I just... I can't understand this. Why would this other kid lie to me? You know, and just kind of sitting there. Right. And, you know, that's what breaks them ultimately. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you endlessly talking will break no one. Mm -hmm. Don't talk for 60 seconds. They'll tell you where Jimmy Hoffa's buried. Yeah. Right. They'll tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah. Be willing to sit there for 20 minutes and not say anything. If you know that they, you know, uh, right. are doubling down on this lie, just just right. give them time. Yeah. They can't handle the silence. Yeah, if you're just not convinced, yeah. that's the strategy. Yeah. Wait it out. Yeah, wait, wait it, it out. So I wanted to end on a positive note. Okay, good. Okay? So, like, what are some things that we can, how can we improve truth-telling okay. in kids. Go. So they did um, some interesting research in this area. Um, in that peaking game that I yes. told you about, uh, when one of the when the researcher would pause and say, I'm about to ask you a question, but before I do, will you promise to tell me the truth? And they get a promise from... This actually, this promise cuts down the lying by 25%. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So name that you want... A truthful answer. Kind of getting a promise from them before asking them the question. Yeah. Like, because I think what they're saying is telling the truth is important in this situation. Yes. The incident itself is not the most important thing. Telling the truth about it is also important. Right. And indeed, it might even be more important. Yeah. I mean. At at the end of the day, the long-term, the long-term goal is... Well, whatever irresponsible thing you just did, it's my hope that this is the only time we have to talk about this. But you'll have to confront a decision to tell a lie maybe in 10 minutes. And I'd rather you you think about that. For sure, once a day. Once they've hit right. sixth grade, once right. a day they're once making day. that decision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, so the mis- that's my concern. The misdeed that they've done in that moment... 
you know, we can, we understand, you know, even when it's fairly significant or they've gotten in a fight or something like that and they've, they've done something. Well, even your vaping kid. Yeah. Right. You know, you they, know. they're just, their brains are a mess right now and they don't think these things through. Right. But that decision to lie or tell the truth is something that they have to do every day around a million different tiny things. Right. So that's what I think we need to be spending more time focused on. Yeah. Is that piece of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another interesting thing that they did is they had they had told some kids, they had read two different stories. One is the boy who cried wolf, and then one was was uh, the parable or the story of George Washington as a little boy cutting down uh-huh. the cherry tree. Yeah, sure. The last line of that story is the father says to him, George, I'm glad that you cut down that cherry tree. After all, hearing you tell the truth is better than if I had a thousand cherry trees. Nice. That was the line, you know. Yeah, that's a good line. That, and that story, when they compared, that story reduced lying by 75% in boys wow. and 50% in girls. Interesting. It goes back to that point that kids ultimately are trying to please you right. and want to know what it is right. uh, that will make you happy. Right. And too often we as adults make it seem like what's going to make us happy is the kids telling us this horrible thing that might have happened right. or embellishing somehow, right. right? If we tell them, you know, or that, and they think that if they tell us the truth about something they did wrong, that we're going to be so disappointed. That's right. That's and right. And so by undergirding that conversation with you telling the truth actually makes me feel proud of you. Yes, and it helps to mitigate some of that disappointment that you did this. That's this right. Act, that's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't you think? I think that's where it is. Because kids ultimately they want to make their parents happy. They want to reduce conflict. Correct. Correct. Be, and there is going to be conflict in the home because of it. Because uh, there is going to be. Because there is going to be. Yeah, that's just um, the way it is. And they know if they did something wrong, so they they can't go back and change what they've done. Right? That act has happened. But right. they think that by telling a different story about it, maybe I can, you know, yeah. not not disappoint my parents so much, not right. create this this yeah. uh, this conflict in my family and somehow I'm going to help repair and save them and particularly right. when the kids are teenagers, right? right. This idea that I'm going to save you by not telling you all the details, by not right um, coming uh, uh, it's that lying by omission. Exactly. That's what they find teenagers do so well and so often is right. that lie by omission. Right. I can tell you 80% of the truth. Mm-hmm. And by not directly lying, but by just leaving a piece of it out that hopefully you'll never discover anyway because you won't go there. Yeah. You won't think to ask. You wouldn't. Right. Then then you'll you'll be off the trail Sort of for good. Mm-hmm. And I might get consequence for something, mm-hmm. but not for the thing I was afraid I'd be consequenced for. And sometimes kids, you know, by middle school, their desire is um, to please their peers more than adults, right? Oh, that absolutely. Shift, yeah, 100%. Right? There's right. that shift has happened. Yeah. So protecting their peers right. is another motivation for right. not telling you the whole truth and, 100%. What, and what happened. Right. Because... 
I mean, it goes back to the earlier points about the maintenance of a social network, mm-hmm. right? And the maintenance of of a well lubricated life experience, mm-hmm. right? Well, and the and the other reality is that, and I was just talking to my entrepreneurship kids about this uh, a few days ago, to the students who. We took a Myers-Briggs oh, yeah. personality inventory, you know, and folks, I'll put Myers-Briggs in the show notes for you. Um, in a classroom with 10 kids, only two were introverts. Hmm. Two came up as I and me, right? And I said, that's perfectly normal. In the United States, we're an extremely extroverted culture. We're a very E mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. So... We generate a lot more ease than other cultures do, and eyes have the following things that will sort of be a challenge in this culture, but wouldn't be in some other culture. And da, 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 right? So that extroversion, social, mm-hmm. uh, keeping everything well greased, is also part of the, the 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 thing that gets more and more and more true as you get to high school. For sure, right? and I was. This is by no means or ways in the book at all. This is my own. This is now Jennifer's Opinion Corner. But I was thinking (laughs) that, uh, you know, so like if 96% of kids lie, like who are these other 4%? I'm like, oh, these are kids on the spectrum, right? Ah, okay. (laughs) These are kids who are so justice-minded and such black and white thinkers right? and have no social skills, yeah. they're going to be your truth-tellers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, thinking about those four. Because they absolutely, you know, they're not they're not invested in those social interactions. Yeah. And they they expect to have consequences when they've done something wrong and right. they're going to admit well, they have to a, you. They have a, they have a, perhaps a justice sense, as you yep. said, yep. right, that, that leads... To a very different kind of outcome, yeah. To these sorts of conversations than yeah. would otherwise be the case. Yeah. yeah. What's the book again? It's called Nurture Shock. Okay. And Poe Branson and Ashley Merriman. Okay. M E R R Y, like Merry Christmas. Yeah. There's another chapter called The Science of Teen Rebellion. Oh, neat. That is amazing as well. It kind of has these, takes some of these ideas about lying and, you know, our teens who lie by omission and all the many ways they're trying to deceive their parents. There was an interesting study that a couple of, um, uh, I think, uh, researchers, professors from Penn State did on trying to figure out... um, what kids are hiding from their parents, like how, and it was just even interesting how they crafted a, a research design so that kids would tell them this, and they ended up yeah. using undergrads who were really close to them in age, and that was uh, the key to getting the kids to es- to, to establish a peer. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Because any adults are like, forget it, and then they came up with this stack of cards, and it was like thirty six topics that they wanted to ask kids. Like, are you, you know, do you withhold this? Do you talk to your parents about this or not? And yeah. they just went through them all, and then they they had these That's categories neat. of like, oh, these are things that kids do not tell their parents about, like drugs and sex and yeah. drinking, you know, yeah, one of the right. common ones. But right. so that was another, that's, you know, a whole nother chapter, but really interesting yeah. as well. So there's lots yeah. of Another great, topic that yeah. might in fact come out of that book for another episode down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've covered it. I think so. Yeah. So listeners, go to our Facebook page, Many Windows. Go to our webpage, okay, which is going to be at 
school-next.com slash many windows. Get this episode, resources, and I hope that you'll join us after you rate and review, of course. Five stars are the best, but we'll take any reviews you give, right? Tell us what we got right. Tell us what we got wrong. Join us in the conversation. And uh, episode two will be out uh, in about a month's time after this one drops because we're we're recording a monthly podcast, at least for now. Uh, if we go to every couple of weeks or what have you, we'll let you know. But for now, we're going to be on a monthly schedule. So stay tuned, folks. We're off and running. Thanks, John. I know it was a lot of me this time. Next thanks, time, Jennifer. it'll be more no, you, maybe. More you. We'll see. All Jennifer, all the time. <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye.